0: Bear Nation, how we doing? This is your host, Rob Napoli, and you are tuning in to another episode of the Bear Necessities Podcast, a podcast where we sit down with entrepreneurs, ecosystem partners, and innovation folks to talk about what it takes to launch, create, and scale businesses across the world. Hey, everybody, how we doing? We are back again for another episode of the Bear Necessities Podcast, and I'm your host, Rob Napoli, and today should be a fun one. Uh, being joined um, from a founder who I met through a really good friend of mine in front of the show, Anna Libel. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to say it right. I might I might not, but Halmar Gislausin, right?
1: You got it. Close. You got it
0: you know I love it. Hey my 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 guests know that uh it's it's sometimes it doesn't always work out for me uh, but sometimes it does. Um Halmar is a founder and CEO of Grid. Uh, if you're curious about, he's curious about data, technology, media, the universe, basically everything. Very interesting person. Uh, before starting Grid, he was founder of a founder and CEO of Data Market, which was founded in two thousand and eight, which he sold to Click in twenty fourteen, where he subsequently served as the VP of Product Management for three years. He is a career data nerd and entrepreneur, and Grid is his fifth software startup. So, Hamar, thanks for joining the show. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you, Rob. Yeah. And so we're going to get into a couple of different things talking about like um, data stuff. But one of the things that I was, you know, when we were chatting, we met, I was really excited about it, is that this is your fifth startup, which means mm-hmm. um, you've probably been through some shit and <laughs> you could probably tell us, you know, some 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 wins and some losses. But. What was it, you know, having started up five companies and and sold, what um what drove you to want to be an entrepreneur? Or what drove you to want to, you know, be the captain of your ship, so to speak? Was there a moment? Was this, did you just kind of fall into it? Did you always know that you wanted to run a business? How did that come about back in the early days of your career?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the so. Um, and I, I guess there are there are two things there. First of all, uh, you know, like for pretty much every entrepreneur I know, it, it happens happened accidentally. Like I didn't plan to start the business at at age twenty. It it just like we started working on some stuff and we liked it, and it turned out that other people liked it too, and and kind of that uh, one thing led to another, and then all of a sudden I was no longer studying computer science and I was running a, a small software company, uh, but. Uh, it's also a lot about role models. Uh, you know, I, I looked at uh, other people that had been doing similar things. There weren't a lot of them, not nearly as many as as now. Uh, but also, I come from a fairly entrepreneurial family, and that's actually something that I just uh, realized afterwards. Because, like, when you're growing up, everything is everything around you is normal. But my dad had started two businesses in in his life. Uh, my grandfather before him, uh, you know, had had built a farm from, from kind of essentially just from the mud up and built it up to a, a kind of large cattle farm. So, uh, the, you know, there's uh, the, there is a little bit of that and kind of looking at, at those people around me, uh, it, this just felt a little bit normal. I guess, I guess you could almost say it the other way. Like there was nobody telling me that you shouldn't do this.
0: <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, I love how you brought that up because – I think it's really easy when we grow up in an environment to look at our parents, and they could be our superheroes early in life, and then everything else is just like, oh, they're working, it's normal, whatever. And it's not till you become like I know, as I'm in my mid thirties now, I'm realizing things like I would never, I was like when I was a kid, I'm never going to be that person, or I'm never going to be like my dad like this, never be my mom like that. And I'm like, oh shit, this is why they make those decisions. Like this is harder than we thought. And so you kind of realize after the fact, some of the cool stuff that happens are, you know, for you, these, these huge influences on your life and your father and grandfather starting multiple businesses that of course you're going to just kind of fall into starting a business as, you know, if that's what you yeah. saw. So when you're 20 years old, you're you're in school and you're starting this first business. Like how'd that go for you? What was it like running a software business at 20 years old and, kind of just falling into it and realizing oh shit people like this and here we are let's go like was it scary exciting a little bit of both did you feel like you were just figuring it out or do you feel like you had a pretty good handle on what you were doing
1: um i i think there are there are two parts to that so first of all on the uh, so what we were doing essentially so i'm i'm uh, i'm in i'm in iceland i'm from iceland that's where i'm brought up uh, and what we uh what there was a group of uh friends four four of us we started uh making uh computer games uh, and they were kind of they were the types of games that you would see as you know mobile games today but like small typically kind of uh typically language based games so m- most of these concepts actually existed in english and other languages but they'd never been done in icelandic before so crossword puzzle puzzles and and things like that uh, and uh we you know as we were, I think it was actually, we started this in the summer before all of us started uh, university, but then we kind of, we were bringing it together in the first semester as we were studying computer science and used this to kind of, to test out some of the things we were learning and so on. And, you know, we, we had something on our hands that actually worked. And uh, when we put it into hands of others, it seemed that they liked it. So we, I think we had a, Decent handle, I mean, it, you, you always you always think you know everything when you're 20, but, you know, there were obviously things that we could have done better. But when it came to the product and the technology side of things, I think we had a pretty good handle on it, but we didn't have a clue what we were doing on the business side. Uh, you know, I, I remember the two things there. First of all, I remember uh, just, you know, pricing it and pushing like marketing and, and all of that was totally new to new to us. And it worked out okay. It was enough to pay the four of us uh, decent salaries for the year and a half or so, where this was the core of the of what we were doing. But that was that was pure luck. Like it was not it was not a calculated it was not a calculated business in in any uh, any way shape or form.
0: Hey, we all need a little bit of luck sometimes.
1: Oh, oh no, absolutely. I think luck is a very underestimated part of anybody's journey. Uh, and then then secondly, I remember that. Uh, you know, we got into the local media because you know there was some interest in what we were doing. And the day after, we get called up by a, a venture capitalist. And I didn't—I literally did not know what uh, what venture capital was. Uh, I did not know what kind of a share increase was, uh, and or, or issuing new stock was. So you know, that was all just learning by doing, essentially. So uh, yeah, we we so kind of going back to your question. Pack and kind of product wise, we were pretty savvy, but business wise, not
0: at all. Oh, I love it. I mean, I think that that's what happens, right? Like a lot of times, we have a specialty in one area or the other, and it's 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 in doing that we learn. Like I think a little bit today, there's this um, in the information age, it's you know, you got to be good at everything, right? And you need to be perfect mm-hmm. at everything before you do something. And if you're not, you just don't do it. And it's like, no, you gotta, you gotta fail to succeed. Right. And I think yeah. we forget that too much, and so it's great to hear you say like, Hey, we didn't know what we're, the, we we did not know what the hell we were doing, but we figured it, we figured it out and it worked yeah. out for us. So that's, that's pretty cool. So I know that that was, you know, back in the day, um, and it will kind of fast forward. You did some really cool things, but you, you founded a company called Data Market, which you eventually sold to Click. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that experience. You know, in in the process of your five businesses, which number was Data Market, and why do you feel that Data Market was so successful through an acquisition from maybe some of the things that you've had in your past? Like, well, let's well, let's talk through. Can we get, explore that a little bit? Yeah.
1: So, Data Market was uh, was my fourth. Uh, startup and it was started very much out of an experience I had through an acquisition of uh, my previous business I was uh, working at a telco where my job was essentially to to write business plans for you know for opportunities that uh, the telco might have it was kind of the old national uh, nationally owned uh, telco newly been privatized and they were looking for like what do we do like what what what's happening in the in the world of of tech and business and Uh, And I came in there and I, after the acquisition and and kind of started looking into opportunities. And I became frustrated with how hard it was to find good data to base uh, the business plans on, Uh, you know, particular market uh, data, like just market research uh, data. uh, And then also just socioeconomic data and demographics. And like when you're working with, uh, you know, telcos tend to have pretty good, uh, pretty, pretty a uh, big uh, subscriber base so you kind of you're working with uh, almost nationwide kind of statistics there and this was all hard to find and when you found it it was never in the right format so that was the problem that data market was set out to solve uh, again i think i was still i mean even though that was my fourth business uh, i i underestimated kind of the business side of it so it, it was uh, you know i am i am a product guy i come from the tech side of things and i, I i'm still I still think that even when you think that you have enough business savvy, you still kind of underestimate kind of the go-to-market and the the uh, you know how hard it is to get a marketing and sales engine going. Uh, but I was certainly more savvy than I was three businesses before uh, on on that side. But that kind of the, the problem we set out to solve and built an excellent product to do so, and we were just starting to to put that uh, push that to the market. So the the company was built uh, here in Iceland, started in two thousand eight uh, in. Late two thousand and eleven we felt we had a product to sell, so I moved to Boston uh to set up our uh our go to market there hired a few sales and marketing people uh, and started uh selling and and you know um it was by most uh, post most purposes, purpose it was it was fairly successful we managed to build that up to about two million dollars in revenue in our first full year of operation in the u s but we are still searching for kind of that repeatable business model that every startup uh, is seeking we had one large customer that accounted for like sixty sixty percent of our revenue, and then we had you know a few subscribers that were paying us fifty dollars a month, and then uh, things in, in between. So we were still looking for for the right way to to go there, uh, and then we uh, kind of stumbled into the the, the business intelligence world. Uh, that's where we got to know Click. We also got to know some of the other companies in the market, so like Tableau and Power BI was coming up at the time as well. And it turns out that the uses of these uh, th- this type of software often also have to rely on external data so while business intelligence is typically about operational and internal data you're looking at how your business is performing it also has to do with strategy and often the internal data may be more valuable if you reflect it in external data you know knowing how many you know knowing how many customers you have in a zip code is almost uh, irrelevant if you don't know how many people are in that zip code, for example. So that's a, an example of how internal and external data come together. But anyway, so Click, uh, uh, we got to know Click. Click liked what we were doing, and they liked uh, to. Uh, they liked us and the technology we built, and also the the ability to sell access to external data through their own uh, through their own technology. So that's kind of what got them interested and then uh, you know they made this an acquisition offer uh, late 2013 actually and then it kind of took most of 2014 to get that uh, get that done for a variety of reasons uh, and uh, in 2014 data market became a part of, of click uh, and uh, uh, you know we integrated the the team we integrated the the product lots of learnings there, uh, both good and bad. Um, but then, uh, you know, I was there as VP of product management for uh, just over three years after that, before then uh, leaving there and starting my current company
0: Grid. That's, that's awesome. You know, I'm going to go back to something you said, you're talking about data, right? Like knowing how many customers are in a zip code without knowing how many people are in the zip code total, you know, I I resonate with that line you said that, and and it's something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs and founders need to understand out there is that data tells a story, and I used mm-hmm. to tell people all, all the time, right? I, give me data, and I can tell you three stories, right? Like data tells a story, yep. but it you without internal and external data pieces and showing what that really means, like I can make data work in different ways. So it's really important, I think for people out there for entrepreneurs that when you're using data to tell your story and, and a lot of people that listen, you know, are potentially going through fundraising, et cetera, is like show that data and make it work for your story, but also show the bigger picture, right? Having like something to compare it against and show like the, the clear picture is going to help mm-hmm. you win because you know, people out there understand that you can bullshit, you can bullshit a little bit around data and make it work for you. And so I love that you said, shared that. And <clears throat> you know, it's kind of funny when you talk about the acquisition acquisitions are never easy, right? It sounds sexy, and it sounds like it was, you know, oh, it's amazing. But, you know, you just talked about it taking over a year. What were your emotions like going through the acquisition? Like, when you got the call, like, they want to acquire you. I'm sure you were super excited, but what was the emotion like going through that year? You know, because there's obviously some uncertainty with your current Mm -hmm. team and that team that you're leading. Uncertainty of, like, what happens if this falls apart? Uncertainty of, like, what is my role fitting in? Would you mind sharing a little bit what, what the emotional roller coaster was like that year, um, and, and we see yeah. things you had to deal with through an acquisition channel.
1: Yeah, no, it, it was it was definitely super interesting, and, and it happened at a time where we were planning a fundraise. So we kind of there was a fork in the road. We have to kind of do we want to explore an acquisition path, or do we want to uh, keep on going for the for the fundraise? Uh, and uh, we decided to kind of set the fundraising plans aside and, and explore this uh, this uh, opportunity uh it was just to be clear it was a financially it was a great outcome for everyone involved so kind of we can just set money a little bit aside in, in kind of talking about this because you know in as much as money and emotions go together that was all positive uh but then you know it the it, it was the um it was a, a roller coaster for sure it didn't it was maybe one or two moments in that those 9 months or so that this took where it felt like it might fall apart but for for the most part, it was just going in one direction. it was just going very slowly. There was always new obstacles to overcome. And I think in these nine months, this was never more than four weeks out. Like we were always four weeks from closing until it happened. <laughs> uh, and that, I think actually, even though that is if you know sounds funny and is funny, I, I think that is a part of like that's one of my big uh, lessons there. These things take longer than you think. Uh, and then secondly, you have to make sure that you don't uh, you don't kind of drop some of the other balls that you have uh, in the air while going after this. Because I'll I'll be you know I had somewhat of a tunnel vision on making this happen, uh, and I, I'll be I'll be honest if, if this wouldn't have come through after the the full nine months, the business was you know in a, a much worse shape than it was you know when we started the uh, started the the process just because. Uh, a lot of things that need attention hadn't got the attention that they deserve for business as usual, kind of running a business as usual, and keep building that as an uh, as a uh, as an independent business.
0: I, and I appreciate you sharing that because you know my com- my first company, a uh, company co called Happy Group, we were acquired, and we, we were at a point where, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we had we pivoted and made some things happen. So from a team perspective, we didn't have much of a much of a team, um, but there was the there was this kind of, you know, tunnel vision as well. As like we were going through, that, you know, we we're going through it. How do we keep driving business forward? You know, we had new customers coming in. We had customers that we we're servicing. How do we make sure we don't drop the ball on current clients and current customers? And also, how do we tell them at some point? How do we? How do we make the conversation mm-hmm. happen for our book of business to maneuver them over in? In a way that makes sense, that they were excited about, that gave them, you know, confidence and comfort. And so, you know, it's really important, as you said, through that acquisition, it's really easy to get tunnel vision on the acquisition, but you still have to run a business, which is not always easy to do.
1: No, no, absolutely. And among the things that, you know, I I dropped the ball on and uh, I'm I'm happy to be transparent about that was just, you know, the the team, because, again, this was always four weeks out and we were going to kind of talk about that later. But also just, you know, uh, acquiring new business for the ongoing business, because that's also hard when you are kind of when you are in the process of, you know, we were we were selling something that would probably not be available after the acquisition. So it, it didn't feel you know right to go out and push that and try to sell that to new customers if I knew that four weeks later <laughs> at all times, I would have to go, go back to them and say, oh, by the way, we're not doing this anymore. That just didn't feel right. But that's a, and that's almost like there isn't a good solution to, to that problem because, you know, what are you going to do? Either, you know, either you sell it to them and then you disappoint them when this comes through or you don't sell to them, and then the, the business is in a worse position when you when you come out of it. And then I think the third thing that we failed to do properly was to talk about, we talked so much about the deal and how to get that done, that we failed to talk enough about what happens after the acquisition. Like, how are we going to properly integrate the teams? How are we going to properly integrate the products? How are we going to make sure that this gets the uh, attention and resources it needs to be successful within the larger organization after the fact? As, you know, as opposed to, you know, how, how much it, you know, or how we, you know, all the, all the reps and warranties that we're going to put in place for, you know, for the, uh, for the acquisition uh, agreement itself.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting. It's like, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think that if there's anyone out there listening, going through an acquisition, you know, just, or any type of like conversation on this, like you got to be, as as a founder, you're wearing multiple hats as a CEO. You have to do all these things and just it's really easy to get tunnel vision. So give yourself a little grace and space to, you know, yeah. to, to be stuck in a tunnel vision, but also make sure that you don't lose sight of the bigger picture because you're the one that's, that's kind of up there leading that charge. <laughs> how was, um, yeah. how was your time in Boston? You know, moving from, you know, you were, you grew up in Iceland and, and running your business there, coming over to Boston, how was, you know, running a business in, in Boston Compared to
1: I, I I love Boston. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm. I i would not be surprised if at some point, uh, you know, I and my family go back there. We we all liked it uh, a lot. Uh, you know, we were we were. It was probably the part of uh, the U.S. And, and and the city in the U.S. that we knew the best already. We had quite a lot of friends there. My my wife had studied there for one semester, uh, and we had quite a lot of connections, so we knew. Roughly what we were going into, and we had a little bit of a network to to lean on as we were moving to the city. But we left Iceland with you know with uh, so there was there was four of us with nine suitcases when we when we flew over, uh, and yes, we had a place to stay, but that was about it. Uh, and uh, so we had to kind of build our, our our life there from from the ground up. But uh, and and you know starting the the new office for the business at the same time. But it was I mean I look back at the time with uh, a lot of affinity. It was a great time. It was a lot, you know. It was very busy, obviously, but it was also a lot of fun. It was all like I like building stuff. That's what I. That's what uh, keeps me taking. And I was building on all fronts. We were building on the family front. We were building on the uh, in the metaphorical sense, meaning kind of building our new home there. And uh, we were, you know, building the the business at the same time. So it was really exciting. And we started off for those that know Boston. uh, We were actually living close to Kendall Square on the Cambridge side, so right at the MIT campus, and it's one of those. Rare areas in the world that you can find this in a couple of places in in New York and and, uh, in the Bay Area as well, where, you know, you just walk into any uh, cafe or any uh, restaurant and there's just creative energy. Like you can just feel the creative energy uh, in the air. You know, at one table, somebody is starting a company. At another table, somebody is getting funded. At the third table, somebody is hiring someone. Uh, And, you know, it's just that energy is so uh, infectious and it helps. It helps when you're building because you get you get infected by it and you get uh, additional energy out of out of that.
0: Yeah. I mean that, that's one of the things I love so much about New York City, man. Like you yep. can go anywhere and something's happening. And you can meet somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. All you gotta do is is, is be open to the conversation. So yep. you know you're in Boston, you're working for click and then after about three and a half, four years you decided to leave Click, move back to Isolate and start another company. Yep. Was that just because you were you were kind of like I made the transition, I did the thing here, I want to build again. Like, did your like entrepreneurial itch to be a builder start start coming back?
1: Yes. So I, I don't think anyone that knows me, and I think that includes the people that clicked that you know that led the acquisition uh, and worked with me there. I don't think anybody was surprised when I left. That's not to say that this wasn't a great time. I learned a lot. It was you know largely a positive time for the company while while we were there. A lot of learning experiences, also kind of being a part of a larger enterprise and publicly traded company. I was even taken private while I was there. So it was lots of lots of uh, different things to to learn from that. But, uh, you know, I I also, you know, there there are, there are certain aspects about larger organizations that, you know, they work well for large organizations, but they don't necessarily work well for me. So, so I, uh, I was, I was, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the edge to, to start building something and maybe being able to move a little bit faster on kind of creative initiatives uh, started, uh, started needing some scratching and the, a lot of people are surprised that I moved from Boston, which is typically on kind of top ten cities in the world to start a business, uh, to Reykjavik, Iceland, which I have not seen on such a list yet, uh, to, to do this. But the reason is that I knew that here I could tap the shoulders of the right people to get that kind of founding team together, to then kind of snowball some of the best people in uh, the local uh, e- ecosystem. Uh, around us to kind of build a great team of, of thirty to forty people, which is where we are now and that's you know totally that's totally what's happened we have uh, uh, you know we have a great team uh here and great culture and you know we we're also able to kind of have an in office culture where nobody has to commute for more than maybe you know fifteen twenty minutes uh, which is very different from what you would see in many of the other uh starter pubs or, or rather put it in, in what you would see in typical starter pubs.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that it's also really important, right? When you're building your founding team, sometimes just knowing where the right people to, to, to partner with you are and, and kind mm-hmm. of putting yourself into that situation to be successful. I know it's really easy. You know, we live in a remote cultural world where we could work from anywhere. And yes, that's great. But sometimes you need this certain energy or certain people or a certain opportunity, like having everybody to be in office, from a collaboration standpoint and and for founders out there to really understand that when you're building a company and building a team, find the environment where it works the best for you and then scale yeah. from there. And it doesn't yeah. always, as much as I'm a big proponent of New York City, it doesn't always have to be New York City or Boston <laughs> no, exactly. or the Bay Area. Yeah. It could be some small town in the you know, middle of America or across the world. Like it doesn't have to be in these big cities, and that's you know, the the cool thing is entre- and part of my you know, one of the missions of my podcast is to interview some uh, a founder and entrepreneur from every country in the world to prove that entrepreneurship is yeah. everywhere. Right? Like that is the mission yeah. of my I have a map up here with all the states and all the countries <laughs> and I and I scratch it off when I um interview somebody from that country and it's it's not as, you know, colorful and full as I'd like it to be, but it's getting there. Um but I truly mission. believe that entrepreneurship is from everywhere. So um. Yeah, I love that you share that. So I want to kind of talk about you know the, the the role that you're working on now. You know, are wearing yep. a, you're wearing your your grid shirt. That's your friendly data solutions. So yep. when you were scratching that itch to get back on entrepreneurship, grid. What are you doing? Why? Why? What was the problem that you saw that you're like, I want to go fix this, or or this is something that we figured could be something that's worth getting into yep so if i if I just start with kind of the the, the short tagline what we're building at grid
1: we're building a, a numbers tool for the next generation meaning that we, we want to be the solution that uh younger people and younger kind of smaller organizations turn to when they need to do anything with uh numbers and calculations the types of things that often gravitate towards spreadsheet and mostly gravitate towards spreadsheets today but because you asked what kind of where that comes from uh the uh, there are there are two things I wanna uh, wanna talk about. One is kind of what I experienced at Click, which is was at the forefront of uh, you know what Gartner called kind of the self service revolution, where the end users themselves were asking questions of data using these tools uh, together with Tableau and Power BI that I mentioned before. But you know as soon as I dug in, I, I, I realized that these are still power power user tools. These are power tools, and you have to kind of you have to put in a few weeks to learn how to use them uh, and so on. So, you know, the, the conclusion I came to is that the software industry has been very busy building great solutions for data scientists and other data experts. But kind of the everyday knowledge worker that still has to do work with numbers and data and make some charts and, you know, tell some stories with data as we were talking about before. They have been left with the humble spreadsheet for over 40 years. Spreadsheets are great and they are very empowering tools. And, uh, you know, they, I'm a big fan of spreadsheets, but there hasn't been like a big mode change in, in them. So, you know. Grid is a very spreadsheet focused solution, but we add onto it layers that we feel uh, are missing, like, you know, shareability, like collaboration, uh, like just, you know, aesthetics uh, above and beyond what kind of a two dimensional grid, ironically, given the name of the company, uh, can, can, can do for you. So that's kind of that's where that comes from. The other uh, aspect it comes from, because we were talking about stories and data before and kind of how they, uh, you know, how, how the two work together. Uh, One of my big idols in life is uh, Hans Rosling. He's a Swedish doctor. I don't know if you've heard of him. There's a famous TED talk where he kind of, I I think the TED talk is called the best statistics you've ever seen. Uh, And he kind of, he had a knack of uh, doing really engaging data presentations. And like, they are, they are funny. They are, they are uh, just emotional kind of presentations of data. but he's always showing touch. He's always showing kind of the the big picture that you see in the, uh, in the types of kind of socioeconomic data. But I'm also a big fan of uh, humans of New York, which, you know, a lot of people may know, which is a photographic, uh, it's a photographer uh, from New York and has a knack for just going out on the streets of New York, initially finding interesting people, taking great profile photos, and then talking through, you know, some part of their life and, and kind of, You would think that these are polar opposites, but I think that the best thing that, you know, the best, the most convincing uh, and the best representation of anything is like Hans Rosling meets humans of New York. You have to have that human element, that storytelling element that kind of gets to your emotional uh, kind of core, but at the same time, put it in perspective that only data can give you. Like if you are talking about refugees, you cannot talk just about data but you also cannot just talk about one anecdotal story. But if you have an anecdotal story or maybe two or three anecdotal stories and you tie those individuals to the data, how they, how they are representative of something that millions of people are, are facing, then you have kind of really gotten the best of the both, both halves of the brain if you want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that great stories, I mean, and, and even in, in the art of storytelling, right, great stories are grounded in truth. Right. And truth yep. is in data. Right. And, and, and to me, that that kind of like goes hand in hand. Right. So I love that you kind of share that. And, and and I agree with you. Right. In this world of and I get that we have these niches and these specialties, but in a world of very specialty, different people, we're building tools for those specialists. And we're forgetting mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't as an early stage founder, you can't hire a data scientist to use Power BI and pay for Power BI and blah, blah, blah. Like that's a lot of expenses racking up. <laughs> What's right, the tool ahead. that I can use? That's why I love, like, you know, there's a couple of companies out there like Notion, yep. um, Airtable, Canva, that are simple mm-hmm. solutions that give you the power to be a design studio or, you know, your kind of all-in-one data hub or a great CRM for free to, to very inexpensive as a great starter tool versus going, getting like a Salesforce and a production team and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, having those, uh, those tools and abilities um, to tell powerful stories early on, huge, mm-hmm. and and I love that. So that's really exciting that that's what you're building a Grid.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, that's exactly what, uh, you know, it, these tools that you mentioned are exactly the tools that both we are deeply integrated with, but also that we look to, you know, and, and we often talk about both Notion and Canva in terms of we want to do for, you know, working with numbers and charts and visualizations. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what something like Canva has managed to do for working with graphics and kind of producing really professional output, even though you are not an expert in the field. Yeah.
0: And I love that. I mean, I think that's in this, in in, in the generation that we're in, Gen Z and, and beyond, right? We're kind of going back to being more of a generalist is is a good thing, right? The old master Mm -hmm. of none, right? Um, Quote, um, we're starting to be in the creator economy, going back to we can be more generalist because we can utilize these different tools to tell our stories that we need to and get the base layer without having to go specialist layer. So I love that you share that. And, And I think that it'll be interesting to see the evolution of the market in the next five years. Like, I think that it's like, there's some really cool changes coming uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because um, we are at this inflection point where there's a lot of saturation, but there's a lot of great new tech that are coming and making things easier, right? I always yeah, talk but- about technology. Is it, is it accessory or is it necessary? necessity, right? Like many products mm-hmm. that come out are accessories to other things versus something like this, which is necessary for those that can't do X, Y, or Z.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that you, you're kind of picking up on a on a maybe one of the bigger kind of trends in society these days. Because, you know, uh, if you go back to our parents, like a career was getting hired at one company and staying there, you know, uh, ideally hired at a big company and staying there for your entire career until you get the gold watch. Uh, But then, you know, my generation kind of is maybe more, uh, you know, in the sense that we go between the companies. There's definitely some entrepreneurial uh, part there. But then when I look at people that are, you know, in their 20s today, they, you know, a lot of them dream about kind of being their own bosses and building their own little kind of, you know, little business, often just themselves and and so on. And they are empowered with uh, by all this technology. But I think still kind of society is a little bit biased towards like, uh, you know, (laughs) it's. It's a little bit biased to both uh, kind of both society and just the, the markets are a little bit biased towards the larger enterprise. It's a lot, it's very hard to run a large enterprise into the ground and it tends to happen slowly. Whereas it's really hard to get a small business going and keeping momentum there without kind of putting in way too much work for your
0: mental health. Yeah. Well, and I know it's so, <laughs> a, and, and I love that you shared that because. I've been talking a lot about mental health on this topic, and I know that you've, you've kind of mentioned this, that you truly believe that founders and employees, everyone can can have work-life balance and still be incredibly successful, right? There's the either have work-life balance or incredibly successful. and There's nothing in between. I know that you, you're living proof that you can have both. It's about how you manage those times. And I think what we're seeing with, with our next generation is that that key on having that balance, and being successful are coming to a point where like, this is how we could do it. I mean, you can run hard for a while and then you take your rest and you run hard or you can kind of go up and down depending on how your lifestyle is We're uh-huh. saying, hey, we can change that. We can do both and be both. We can be everything. Right. As long as we have a plan in place to do that. And it's going to be interesting to see how technology shapes that moving forward.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And and I also think it has to do with like just, uh, you know, at different parts of life. You can uh, you you can sustain different modes of working. Uh, And, you know, there is a lot to be said about kind of, uh, you know, really energetic young people that can put in a lot of hours and have, uh, you know, a few uh, a few commitments outside of of work. But there's also a lot to be said about people that are coming, you know, that are further along in their careers may have quite a lot of commitments outside of work. But are you know by then much more specialized in what they're doing. They have a lot of experience to lean on, and, and so on. And, and you know, one isn't better than than the other. Uh, it's just interesting how we'll figure out both how we make them work together, and then also how we you know how we restructure some things in society and markets to kind of facilitate this.
0: Absolutely, I love that. Um, so kind of as so we kind of close out here, the last question. Uh, if somebody came to you, say like a millennial or a Gen Z or somebody younger entrepreneur came to you and, and asked for advice, what uh, what advice would you give them?
1: Um, I think the primary thing is to you know uh, n- n- you know do what do what you want to do, do it for you, and don't think too much about what kind of you know what others think uh, about that. But also make sure that you don't you know don't uh chase something so hard that it you know uh, ends up uh, ends up ruining your health either mental or or physical so i, I think that's kind of you know it's very generic uh but I, I think that's the that's the generic advice like what what drives you where do you find your you know, a, a path for your passion like that's number 1 and then how to, can you chase that passion without it
0: uh you know having a detrimental effect yeah what i think you know what i love about that advice is it kind of comes down to something we've talked about before, um, and I talk about on the podcast is that the the way that we look at stories and and like when you read stuff online or watch and hear other people's stories, it's, it sounds very linear, and it's right. not. It's never. So you have to be able to chase what you want hard, understand y- your own mental health and all that, and know that like it's going to take time. There's be ups and downs, and that success will come if you put a focus on both the business and yourself because. Your business can't operate 100% if you're not operating 100%, right? Like when you realize that as a founder or even in, in any employee, that if you're not giving yourself, if you're not taking care of yourself, how can you give 100% of yourself to your job, to your passion, to your relationships? Um, and it's not fair to, to, especially for entrepreneurs out there, to, to your business or yourself to not give give both those things what they need
1: absolutely and that, you know because we're talking about stories that stories uh you know the stories we hear are biased towards the overnight success and even that overnight success tends to take seven years so uh you know that it's not a linear story by any means
0: yeah absolutely Hamar. Um, i appreciate you coming on where you know if if my listeners want to get in touch or learn more where can they find you
1: so uh, they can find Grit on grid.is, uh, uh, but it's also very easy to find me, to ch- uh, chase me down on, you know, on Twitter or on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, uh, I, um, I'm actually, I, I love hearing from people. I love, you know, sharing what I've learned and, you know, hopefully uh, others can avoid some of my mistakes and do their own mistakes instead. So uh, yeah, uh, just invitation to, to everyone listening to, to reach out if they think that might be uh, valuable.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Paying it forward. Well, I'll make sure to put your Twitter, LinkedIn, and the company website into the show notes. So if you're listening to this episode or watching this episode in the show notes, go down, click it, connect the Hallmark. Man, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for sharing so much uh, about your journey, challenges, things you've learned. I uh, really appreciate that. So um, thanks for taking the time today, my friend. Thank you, Rob. Absolutely. Bear Nation, thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay well and rise up. Fair Nation, thanks for listening to the Fair Necessities of Entrepreneurship. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review.